Awesome. So uh, today we're talking through Acts chapter 2. We're taking, uh, continuing on from where we were last week. Uh, we're going to be covering verses 5 through 13 this morning. For those of you who have a nifty little actual Bible, which, which page, turns the page as simple as turning the page, or if you have a smartphone where I hate it because you can't turn the page like a normal Bible. But we'll read that here in a second together. This, this topic is something that is, is very near and dear to my heart. Um, you probably see me up here leading worship and involved in the, in the musical aspects of, of what you see on Sunday morning, but God has really given me a hunger and, and it's just a really big passion for missions, for outreach, for seeing people come to Christ. And, and honestly, that's one of the things that gets me more excited than anything in, in ministry. So uh, it, it's really cool how, how you know, as, as Nathan and I have been praying about, um, about this series we're in and just uh, things that we feel like God is taking us to as a church, that, that uh, we're just really excited for, for the season ahead uh, for us. So let's read this together. Starting in verse 5. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamedes, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Paphylia, Egypt, and, the, and other parts of Libya near Kyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts of Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, basically a lot of people from all over the world. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So, this story in Acts is really cool because it sort of sets the stage for something we call Pentecost. And if you are a person who has been in church for a long time, you've heard that term thrown around quite a bit. If you're new, it's, it's really just this um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit that took place. And we're, that's what this passage is about. And it's this moment where the church was sort of established, where God said, this is what you're to do, and I'm sending you my Holy Spirit to make it happen. And that's, that's what we see happening here. The topic here in this passage can be something that a lot of people sort of see one thing um, in terms of, you know, they, they see that all the, you know, these people come together, and then the Holy Spirit comes, uh, comes and uh, now they're all speaking in these unlearned languages. Um, and it's sort of this thing where we kind of put this uh, other connotation on it. And some of you probably come from various uh, church denominational backgrounds where you've heard this passage spoken or shared, and it kind of gives you a little bit of a, an idea that this is something that we're all supposed to be desiring in tongues and, spe- you know, that kind of a perspective. As I was sort of praying through this passage, passage though, I, I felt God sort of impressed upon me just this idea about what communication actually means. And that's sort of how I want to start um, start this morning talking. So those of you who have uh, probably had any sort of college or high school education in some sort of a communications field, you probably know this one fundamental aspect of it. That's, that's basically, uh, there's a, a good communication is when a message is transferred, delivered, and received or understood by the other person. You can tell when there's successful communication when the deliverer and the receiver both have the same concept of what's been said. Bad communication is obviously when that's not, you know, takes place. There's like a communication breakdown, and it's kind of like you're not able to understand each other or what the other person's saying, or it sort of leads to 
a ton of different outcomes, and it's, it's sometimes it's pretty scary. Something I was, I was going to try to see if we could do this morning is, if you've ever played the game of telephone, you've probably seen this illustrated fairly well, too. I thought it'd be really cool if we could just start right here in the front and work our way to the back. Um, but I think that might take a little too long, so we're not going to do that. But you get the idea. If you can imagine 120 people uh, you know, going through that and what you would get, will end up with at the end. So my wife isn't here today, but um, I, I have to say I've, I've sort of been there in that video. I haven't quite gotten a broom thrown at me, um, but I guess pretty close in, in some instances. I tend to be fairly sarcastic and uh, my sense of humor and... Uh, it can be a little bit, you know, out there sometimes, and I, I kind of exaggerate in some situations. And Ashley is is not very sarcastic, and she's also fairly literal when uh, she's describing a problem or situation. Um, so that results in us usually um, having uh, a little communication breakdown, and where I'm having to hold up like a, a Sheldon Cooper um, sarcasm sign when I am saying something, and I'm like, "Okay, honey, I was just kidding." <laughs> Uh, and uh, and it, it tends to lead into a little bit of um, breakdown in, in how we're communicating in that context. So in um, Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, he describes uh, five different ways people give and receive love. Uh, it's a great book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to to look at it. It's It's got some really great insight. Um, it's based on this idea that everyone has their own primary love language. Uh, anybody remember what they are? Acts of service, touch, quality time, gifts, words of affirmation, quality time. I like that one the best. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, 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 this is helpful because it kind of helps, uh, helps us individually figure out what our own primary language is, love language, and what, you know, in most instances, our spouse's love language is as well. So... Um, you can understand if your quality time and your spouse's words of affirmation, you can see why, um, you know, when, when your spouse just was wanting to hang out or go on a long walk on the beach or something like that, um, you're kind of like not feeling the love that way because maybe your love language was, you know, words of affirmation. You're wanting to be told things like, uh, you're doing a great job. Um, you're such a hard worker. Your shirt looks awesome, or you know all that kind of stuff. So, uh, words of affirmation. If any of that's you, I struggle at giving that one, but I'm a huge. I love receiving them. So it's that's the hardest thing with with some of these things. Like I know what my love languages are, but it's not the way that I necessarily am good at, you know, returning in in that in that situation. But it's um it's really interesting to look at and it kind of helps us see how we all have different ways of communicating and and we all can interpret things differently just like we saw in that video simple actions like your your comments can be completely you know misconstrued based on how we are um sort of processing that when i um graduated college i i worked for about three years with an organization called Youth with a Mission and, uh, in Australia. And it was a really cool time where I felt, you know, just kind of God uh, doing, I saw God doing a lot in, in, in Australia. It's a very difficult place for, for ministry just with how it's so isolated and uh, lots of uh, um, depression and things like that. And it was a really great season of my life. Um, but while I was there, I had the opportunity to work in an accounts office I was in charge of sort of uh, receding and, and, and documenting and, and all that sort of stuff for all the donations that were coming into uh, the YWAM base I was working at. 
I'm not a very accountant-minded person. It was just sort of they, they had a need there, and I, I kind of um, was uh, um, feeling like I needed to you know, offer to fill that. But it was very, a very difficult season for me. I, I really struggled being in an office um, eight hours a day where I'm not talking to people and receding you know, things and working in, in QuickBooks all day long. It's not exactly my forte. Some people love it. I know some of you make the world go round because you love it. Um, but for me, it just was a, a really big struggle for me. But the other lady I was working with was an amazing accountant. She had the accountant of accountant personalities, and she could be in an office for, you know, 18 hours straight with her QuickBooks computer and not a person in the world or anything, and she would just be so happy with that. And and I struggled with that. So we'd be working together, just the two of us, and we'd have sort of these, these sort of almost confrontational discussions because I had my office door open all day long, and I was like, I, I never got any work done because I was just wanting people to stop by to talk. <laughs> And, uh, and I tended to, you know, get, you know, things, you know, mixed up in, in, in terms of how they were receipted, where they were filed, and that's all that sort of stuff. And it just, the details just really bogged me down, and I got really discouraged because I was like, I wasn't seeing it. And so she um, was also frustrated at how I wasn't seeing it as well. <laughs> so you accountant people know exactly what I mean. <laughs> We actually had one of the, the leaders at the, at the base sit down with us, and it was almost like a marriage counseling where we had a third um, person there just, like, helping us process. Okay, Corey, you're a big-picture person. You don't care about those details. And, and Carol, you do care about those details, so you have to sort of, like, explain, you know, those things to Corey so he understands why this needs to be done this way. And all. So it was just it was helpful, but we had to have that. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had any sort of working chemistry in that office. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's sort of a, a thing where, uh, you know, I, I wasn't there for more than six months, but it was, it was, it was a time where God really helped me um, kind of understand that even in those things where you're not really enjoying the minuteness of what you're doing, it's still a really great opportunity to, to, uh, to, to have him minister to you through that. So, um, so as we, as we um, look at this chapter in Acts— we see a tremendous um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's, uh, there's uh, this, this sort of pivotal moment happening in church history um, where basically this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is where, you know, Jesus' followers are, are essentially wondering what's going to happen. Jesus has left, and we don't know what we're to do now. You know, we know he said to go into all the world and make disciples, but How? And it, it sort of was like a somber moment where they, they didn't know what was going to happen or where to go, and it was just kind of a scary time for them. And uh, Jesus' sort of t- last words to them was to just wait until this time comes. And this time is this t- the time that he was referring to. And we have this moment where all these people from all over the world are gathering, and they didn't know what was bringing them there or what was going to happen and, and all these things. And, and, you know, Jerusalem was just this very eclectic kind of, you know, place where all these people were kind of coming and going anyway. Uh, and, and what we see is this story in Acts. So I just want to, like, refer back to last week's text just so we have a little bit more context here. And that was starting in verse 1. It says, The followers of Jesus were all together in one place 50 days after this special religious gathering to remember how the Jews left Egypt. All at once, there was a sound from heaven like a powerful wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. 
they saw tongues were divided that looked like fire. These came down on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They all began to speak in other languages with the Holy, that the Holy Spirit made them able to speak. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. This is our text for today. From every nation under heaven, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, uh, Elamedes, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, converts to Judaism, Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the words of God in our own language, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? So I grew up in a fairly charismatic church in in Southern California where tongues and dancing and banners and and shofars were all there. I mean, it was was a pretty hopping church. And uh, don't get me wrong, I love the charismatic, uh, I love my charismatic background. Uh, God was so alive and moving in that church that I grew up in. There, there were miraculous healings and awesome uh, transformational outpourings of, of the Holy Spirit that amaze me to this day. Uh, when I saw, uh, what I saw, though, was that, you know, this passage we're reading was often used to persuade people to see the importance of, of, of the gift of tongues and that it's also something that God desires to give every believer. Uh, there, now, there are even some churches and denominations that you probably are even aware of that uh, you know, will go so far as to say that you don't have the Holy Spirit if you don't have this gift. And it can be a little frustrating for some of us because uh, you know, I, I feel like it, it sort of puts pressure on Christians to, to pray for something that God may not actually give them. And when they don't receive that gift, they, they sort of feel like, what's happening? Is there something wrong with me? Um, now, I do very much uh, believe in, in the gift of tongues, as, as, we, as we see, you know, discussed throughout the Bible. But what is important is, you know, when we see what we hear, like Paul talk about in other places like Corinthians, where uh, he, he talks about, you know, I would, I, I would that every believer would speak in tongues as much as I do. Um, and, and that we see this other kind of aspect of what tongues is, where it's almost like it's sort of this personal edification, where it's a prayer language, where, you know, we can, we can do it at, you know, when it's just us, and it sort of helps align our spirit with uh, the Holy Spirit, and it's also for the, the edification of the body as a whole, where we see different things like prophecy and interpretations. Those types of things are talked about through Scripture, and I do believe they happen, but what we see in this passage here in um, Acts chapter 2 is not necessarily what that is. It's, it's something where the Holy Spirit just sort of poured out upon these people in a way that they're able to speak these unlearned languages so that other people could essentially, you know, hear the gospel. And what we hear Paul talking about is almost like it's like a groaning of the Spirit. Just, it's not necessarily like lang- a language like we would speak to one another. Um, it, it's just sort of like these utterances that, that you know, allow us to, to have that sort of um, intimacy with God. But I think the important thing here is that we don't necessarily feel like we have to put God in a box or say he can only do this or do that. And anything beyond that is clearly beyond the realm of what he is capable or 
or does. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 55, it says, you know, right there at the forefront, his thoughts aren't our thoughts, his ways aren't our ways. And that sort of saying, God can do whatever he wants. I mean, we, we don't have to be, you know, sort of in this I, I, mindset where if God is only um, doing this, or if I only understand scripture to mean this, then that's the, the only way God can operate. And so I just, uh, I wanted to just communicate that because as we, you know, as we are going through this passage, it, it sort of is a point where it's like, so everyone got the gift of tongues, and then they went out, and then, you know, everything happened from there. So I just want to uh, be clear that there's, there's two different um, types of, of things, we, manifestations we see through scripture with this regard. So, referring back to this, this text in verse 11, it says how everyone did hear the gospel in their own language, and there's no communication breakdown. I mean, it's, it was there. They heard it. You know, as I shared a moment ago, I, I spent quite a few years um, on the mission field, and I can tell you I've heard a lot of funny stories about people trying to minister or, or share the gospel when there's like a language barrier. And, you know, believe it or not, something like when you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, you get born again doesn't necessarily translate into most languages. And so there's, there's some sort of a breakdown that happens there. And this wasn't happening in Acts chapter 2. And that's, that's what the most amazing thing is here. And as a result, we see in the coming verses we'll be reading uh, in the next week or so, we see that 3,000 people were added to the kingdom that day. I mean, that's how clearly the gospel was being spoken as these people were operating uh, within what the Holy Spirit was doing. The Holy Spirit's primary objective for being with us today is to enable the church to advance the Great Commission. Uh, It's to embolden us as witnesses so that we can testify, testify to who God is. But what we'll see today is that there's a lot of communication breakdown happening between what the church is doing to engage culture and what we see actually happening in culture. Uh, I don't think I have to go too far out on a limb uh, to say that our society has changed quite a bit um, uh, over the last several decades. And uh, whether that's good change or bad change isn't the point, but the church must learn how to, how to communicate the gospel message so that those around us can hear and understand it. The challenge isn't that it's, it's as simple as, as overcoming a simple language barrier, though, because we have such a, um, a complex and secularized uh, worldview that is sort of uh, redefining what we see as morality and philosophy and, and just even like the whole essence of what humanity is. And uh, kind of like the video we watched earlier, we think we are communicating something one way, but there's this, this complete disconnect in how that message is, is actually being perceived around us. Um, it's almost like, you know, we're getting the, the broom thrown at us in, in one sense. Statistics show that Albany and the capital region continue to rank at the top of the list of most unchurched and biblically illiterate and secularized places around the country. And some of you have probably heard that before. Uh, and if that's news to you, you probably aren't surprised because it's a hard place to be a Christian. You feel like you're an outsider and people just do not understand or get what we are about. And, and that trend doesn't show any signs of, of improving um, either because the younger the demographic, the more secularized and the more unchurched it becomes. 
there's a slide I wanted to show you that sort of illustrates this. As we see, like, a breakdown of different age groups, born before 1945, baby boomers, etc., we see a greater increase in the number of uh, unchurched and secular, uh, secularized worldviews that are existent in those age groups. And you probably, uh, it probably won't surprise you, but like people in, in like my age group, for instance, like millennial, that, that sort of age group born in the, you know, early 80s and on is sort of un-Christian to the core in, in the essence of their worldview. And it's, it's hard when you're trying to uh, see the positive, um, you know, momentum happening and reaching those people uh, for, for Christ. And when I say unchurched, it's sort of a, a term that sounds a little weird, but it's basically an individual who has no connection to a church, period. And, you know, they don't, they don't have, you know, definitely don't have a church home. They don't really have friends who go to church. They don't really have any ties to church. They're not even like the, you know, once, twice a year attenders. They just don't have any uh, connection to a church. And another facet to this is that people are leaving the church at alarming rates. Um, these, these people can be called the churched people um, who are individuals who might have grown up in the church, uh, maybe also fairly active in, in church, but eventually they arrived at a point where they were not seeing that what they had been sold as, as Christians was actually coming true. They spent their life not doing the bad things, trying to be, you know, the good Christian, and then something bad happens to them, and, and then they decide it's just not worth it anymore. You know, like a spouse leaves, a girl breaks their heart, parents get divorced, uh, you lose your job. And then, you know, like the all-too-familiar one where someone in the church hurts them uh, or, or just it does some sort of a, you know, a, a, a thing to let them down in some way. And, and that's, just, that's enough to just push them over the edge and say, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And we see that happening all around us. Something else that is more unique to our culture today is this overwhelming presence of information and distractions. Uh, in the last two decades, we've gone from, uh, you know, just having three television stations to, you know, those morphing into hundreds of digital channels that we can stream everywhere we go. Uh, we have, you know, DVR, digital season passes, massive, you know, media, uh, multiplayer gaming um, abilities, and, and smartphones and iPads, and then, uh, you know, consumers unchurched and churched alike, it's just as, you know, hard in terms of it's all around us. You know, not faced with those those things here. It's just, it's, it's sort of the reality of the time we live in. And, and, you know, that's not even, you know, touching on social media and the internet. So much demands our attention that as a culture, we are experiencing an epidemic of distractions. Virtually every facet of our life has a less concentrated attention from us than it did before. And as a result, people are more likely than ever to feel that they are too busy, that they have more commitments and more activities that eat up their time. When you combine this increasing indifference towards church with a culture of, you know, just these short attention spans, you get a lot of people who just really don't want to be involved in church, period. And don't take it seriously when the option is there uh, to even attend. Uh, the perception of church as being just this, this positive social makeup of a community is becoming less and less as well. Evangelism is becoming much more difficult. Some of you have probably seen, I, I've heard stories from some of you that, you know, you have neighbors and, and whatnot that you've been trying to share the gospel with for years and years, but there's just no breakthrough there. 
and you know, there's even pushback and, and hostility whenever it comes up. And uh, because of a cultural norm that discourages challenging others' beliefs, many people are reluctant to witness to those in their sphere of influence. And it's, it's just sort of an unfortunate aspect of the reality we are in in, in the society today. And with the rise of secularism to us in the church, the unchurched seem increasingly, you know, like it's, it's them and then us in the church. It, we just sort of feel like it's hopeless. We're just going to continue to do our thing here. And, you know, we'll just be praying for the, the people outside the church, but we just don't know how to connect. And, and we see that happening time and time again. While the unchurched feel even less of an inkling to be a part of a church, um, and so it's it's kind of like a lose-lose in that situation where, you know, we don't have them coming to us and we're sort of feeling like we don't have a connection or common ground with them either. So Christianity has uh, developed this very uh, negative perception within our society uh, where the basic tenets of our faith are continually attacked. Um, the Bible isn't taken seriously as the Word of God. Uh, and instead, it's just sort of like this book that's sort of just this, like any other religious book where you can either believe it or not. Um, and people say things like, if Christianity is true, then uh, how could a good God allow such bad things to happen around the world? Um, I, I read a story, the Steve Jobs biography a few years ago, and uh, there's a story about when he was a young boy, he went to an uh, Episcopalian uh, priest and showed him a cover of these starving children on Time magazine and he asked the priest, if your God is so good, how can he allow this to happen? And the priest didn't give a satisfactory answer to 10-year-old Steve Jobs. So Steve Jobs just said, okay, Christianity is not for me. I'm going to, you know, do this other thing. I'll, you know, maybe become a Buddhist or whatever. And I mean, can you imagine if, if you know, that priest had had a, a satisfactory answer? I mean, it's hard, period, you know, having a, you know, telling somebody, oh, God's great, God's awesome. Oh, but, you know, there's cancer, there's death, destruction, all that. I mean, it's, it's sort of an unfortunate reality of the fallen world we live in, but at the same time, Christians should have an answer to because it's one of the biggest things that we hear objected to from uh, people outside the church. And then we have other people who say things like, how can God, you know, be this sovereign, righteous being who just demands our worship? You know, we, a, a couple months ago, we had Mark Eikost, um here who sh- he shared a, a video when he was speaking of Oprah Winfrey uh, an interview with Oprah Winfrey, and she sort of was talking about how she couldn't really swallow worshiping a God who was jealous, who said, you must worship me and worship me only. And she just didn't like that. So she she said, I'm going to go, you know, kind of develop my own perception of who God is, and, and that's going to be what I what I do. So there's this, this quote from A.W. Tozer that many of us have probably heard a million times, and those of us probably the first time today. But uh, it says, the most important thing about a man is what he thinks about God. And uh, that comes from The Knowledge of the Holy, uh, which is also a fantastic book, if you have not read that one. Um, I encourage you to do that. It's just a really, really great uh, short book about how awesome God is, his attributes and those types of things. I, I, um, I think uh, it, he has some great insight on that. Um, this quote is true on, on so many levels, um, but in our society, what we see happen is it's not that people stop believing in God. They believe in God in a way that makes sense for them. God is no longer this all-knowing, all-powerful, supreme, holy, and perfect being beyond anything we can know or comprehend. 
he becomes this, this small and fabricated thing based on our narrow view of the world and how we think it should be. Uh, what uh, we think about God is the most important thing about us. Um, and our culture has created a very self-centered and small perception of what they think God is like. Um, and that God wouldn't tell us we shouldn't live in a certain way that makes us unhappy. What matters most in life is me feeling affirmed in who I am, in my own belief system. And I can't tell you you're wrong any more than you can tell me I'm wrong. And that's just how society has sort of adopted it. It's this, you're right, I'm right, we're all right, you know, kind of the Oprah gospel. When I thought of that, I was like, hey, it's like when she was giving away the cars, too. (laughs) You're you're right, I'm right, we're all right. But that's really what it is, um, in a nutshell. Churchless adults are not prepared to worship a God they are not sure exists, commit to a Savior they are not convinced they need, or seek guidance from a spirit they believe is just a literary symbol that we say at the end of the Lord's Prayer or something like that. Most people believe they call the shots on their own life, and they alone deal with the consequences. They are generally not thankful for what Christ accomplished on the cross because most do not view themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. So, What's the big idea here? <laughs> we started out by talking about principles of communication. Uh, in, in Acts 2.11, um, I, I mentioned how uh, we saw the Holy Spirit broke the communication barrier, and people heard the gospel in a way that they could understand. What all this comes down to is uh, we really need the Holy Spirit when we are interacting with culture, uh, emboldening us and enabling us and, and, and really carrying us through in those, in those times basically giving us a modern-day version of what speaking in an unlearned language was at Pentecost. Our society is really getting crazy, and it's not this, you know, sort of door-to-door uh, evangelism anymore that you can do, or just this, this idea that Christian uh, principles are what's, you know, what America's built on. And, you know, it's almost like those things are seen as a very negative thing in culture today. What communicates from our context to theirs is is a lot of a lot of hard work and, and relationship building and and it's it's something that it it's not easy for a lot of us to do because you know there's a lot of discouragement a lot of years of of praying for for people around us and and asking God help me to minister to this person give me the words to say give me the opportunities to speak it and and really it comes down to just loving that person the reason people really are not hearing the gospel is we are not speaking in a way that they can understand in John 13, 34 through 5, uh, we all know this passage of Scripture, the golden rule. Jesus said those famous words, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It sounds really simple, and it essentially is, but practiced, it's like the hardest thing we can ever, uh, ever do because it's, it's so selfless and contrary to what we want to be doing is, is, is people and individuals and, you know, sacrificing for the benefit of somebody else. Basically, it's, it's loving God first and loving others second. Uh, and that's really what the church is called to do. And as we looked earlier, the world is, is very aware of, of fake, hypocritical, and, and judgmental Christianity. So how do we combat that perception? And it's, it's sort of this difficult thing where I've read, you know, so many books and and articles and things about 
the need for authentic Christianity and the desire for genuine faith practiced in the church and just how people are tired of, you know, the, the politics and the we need your money and, and that whole kind of thing. And, and it's true beyond a shadow of a doubt um, that that's where society is, but it's, it's, it's like, how do we do that? You know, how do, how do we actually, you know, practice a genuine faith? How do we selflessly love our neighbor and not necessarily feel like we're doing it because we want to get something back, you know, like with strings attached, uh, you know, like I'll mow your lawn 10 times if you come to church with me sort of a thing. What if we did offer to mow our neighbor's lawn or rake their yard or, or whatever? And, you know, a hundred times, are we going to be okay with the lack of um, fruit we see from that? But that's selfless love. That's really what we're called to do as Christians. As we practice loving attitudes and behaviors towards others inside and outside the church, unchurched people will be drawn to that. We need to share Jesus, but it needs to be motivated by love. We need to serve, but it needs to be selfless. And, and it's, it's the hardest thing to do. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said uh, one time about the church that the church is the church only when it exists for others. And the second we stop reaching out, we miss the primary reason God created the church. We shouldn't do outreach projects only to see new people come to the church. We shouldn't expect return for going way over the top to serve or to to bless somebody. Selfless serving has no strings attached. We do it because we are practicing Christ-like love, not because we want to jump on the latest uh, church growth fad or whatever. Some church says, hey, we did this and 50 people came the next Sunday or we did this and awesome things happened. And I mean, it's, it's, it's overwhelming when you hear about these things. You're like, well, maybe if I do that, but it's, it shouldn't be about the numbers. And, you know, we want to see this happen. So our church, you know, explodes or, you know, obviously it's, it's nice to see, but it shouldn't be our primary objective. And uh, it's like, what if we had an outreach where, where we served 5,000 people in some way in our community, and it required every single one of us to put 100% in to make it happen, and then we, we really don't see one person show up to church as a result of that outreach. Like, where, where does that leave us? And I know uh, we just had our fall festival, and it was awesome. We had like um, a 60 or 70 volunteers here helping out with it, and it was, the, it was awesome. We had a ton of people come through, despite it being the worst weather we've had ever for that event. Uh, I, I heard you know, several people say it seemed like it was the most people we've ever had come, which is just a really amazing answer to prayer. And, and we're praying for those people. We would love to see them come plug into our church, and we, we're hopeful for that, and we have faith for that. But if it doesn't happen, where are we? Are we, are we going to get discouraged and be like, we'll never do that again? I mean, that, that was a waste of my time. We didn't see any. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Selfless, selfless serving and just loving those people around us. And I guarantee you, those people felt loved by that event. Our actions as Christians speak way louder than our words, and I believe it's extremely important to defend what we believe in our faith, but we cannot get too confused or so focused on on how we're saying our, our arguments and how we're coming across. You know, I love apologetics, and apologetics is is defending Christianity, not in a, you know, like in a, in a court, but just, you know, backing up what you believe. And it's great. And I think every Christian should have that ability, but at the same time, we shouldn't approach it with this, I just want to be right in this debate. I just want to prove to this person why they're wrong. I mean, that's, 
very unloving towards that person. It's essentially saying, you're an idiot. I'm right. Why aren't you with me? I mean, I mean, it's just an approach that does not affirm them in Christ-like love. And that's what we're called to do. And, and I believe it's important to have the words to speak and, and whatnot and, and to not shy away from those opportunities and to have an answer. The Bible does say to, to be prepared with an answer, but don't do it in a way that belittles the person. I have so many friends who do that. It's like, what? they just, they get a kick out of, you know, leaving a theological debate being the right person and making everybody else feel like they didn't know anything. And it's just, it's unfortunate. But we see that happen all the time in the church. And beyond that, not being hypocritical in what we're saying, you know, actually living out what we, what we do believe and the testimony that we're, we're saying actually is real for us. Our testimony is such a powerful thing, and I encourage you to be thinking about what God has done in your life because that's the thing people are going to latch on to when you're talking about who Jesus is, what God is doing in your life. I mean, if you can, if you can be like, God did this, I was feeling discouraged, and this happened, and then I just was amazed at who God was, or I had this, you know, huge debt, and then all this thing, these things happened. I mean, that's what people need to hear. And then, and then obviously, just like the whole idea of, yeah, I, you know, struggled in this sin, I struggled in this area, my wife was about to leave me, but God restored it, and, and we're good now, and, and it's amazing, God's so faithful. Um, that's, that's powerful. The Bible says, we will overcome by the, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That we can feel very much, you know, like we're, we're hitting a wall, you know, in theological debate. But when it comes to our testimony, that's, that trumps all. And when we say, this is what God did in my life, like we had faith stories, that's stuff you share with people outside the church. It's awesome for us to hear, but people outside the church need to hear that as well. And, and I just want to encourage you guys with that. As we close, I want to, want to think about a couple of things in, in our culture, we face a tremendous communication barrier in reaching people for Christ. It's, it's obvious we need the Holy Spirit now more than ever. Uh, as the church, we can keep doing the same things and, and see the same results, you know, maybe uh, pushing people away or, or sometimes even alienating them, getting frustrated at the, at the lack of, of breakthrough that we're seeing from that. Uh, and it, it can be discouraging. Or we can take a step back and say, am I just pushing a religion on people? Or am I simply loving them because that's what Christ called us to do? Uh, I'm, I know it probably sounds like I'm, I'm kind of being all hippie on this. <laughs> and I, that's okay, I guess. I, you know, it's probably one of the things the hippies did that really was awesome. <laughs> they knew what love was, I, I guess. Maybe not. <laughs> but it's, it's what Jesus told us to do. And, uh, and it's, very, it's very hard to do. And I'm, I think it's, it's sort of a challenge in, in us trying to understand why we are we're working and why we're doing the, the, um, this churchy thing, period, because we get so wrapped up in the, in the doing things and, you know, running things, you know, making sure this board is filled, making sure this, you know, announcement gets shared, making this— but it really comes, to, comes down to how are we loving— people in the church? How are we loving even more so people outside the church? And something I found in myself is when it seems like there's this breakthrough happening in the end, when it seems like there is no breakthrough happening, you know, on, on the evangelistic front, 
I, I tend to get very discouraged and I get frustrated because I'm not seeing any fruit from it. And as a result, I, I can get complacent, I get apathetic, and I don't want to put much effort in. And I really do have a feeling I'm not being like the only person in the room that is, you know, that's saying that and, and can say that that's true for me. I know it's just from the nature of the community we live in, it's extremely easy to get frustrated. And after a while, we just stop trying. And I just, I want to take a moment and, you know, as we just close here to just pray for us and, and pray for, you know, the Holy Spirit to embolden us to be his witness in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and to really be, a, be able to speak that language of love around us without that communication um, breakdown happening. Christ-like love is the only way that people will be drawn into his kingdom. And we need to be okay with that. And we need to, to realize that it takes a lot of selfless sacrifice in us putting others first. And I just want to take some time and pray and, and ask God to, to just do that work in our life together. And as we do, I, just, I do want to invite you to be thinking about people in your life that you can be praying for and maybe are already, or maybe you've prayed for them for years and you've seen no fruit from it, or, or talked to them for years and you just sort of gave up, or I just want us to feel like we got a second wind. I don't want to get all cheesy, but, you know, that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. The, the, the Holy Spirit came like a wind. And so let's, um, let's not get discouraged. Let's, let's you know, be, be full of faith as we, as we go out into our world and do what, what God told us to do. And it, it's exciting, and, and I, I really I know that we can impact Saratoga Springs in this area of the country in an amazing way. And I just I want to see us do it in a way that, that we, we aren't feeling like we're being drug under the bus because it's exciting, it's difficult, and, but seeing someone come to Christ is the most amazing thing ever and seeing that transformation happen. And I just, I know that there are those of us in here who have never had that experience, and it's going to happen for you, whether it's from a family member, a neighbor, a worker, a friend, or whatever, um, or someone you haven't even met yet. But I just, I really believe that that's where we're going as a church. And and I just want to pray for that as as we close here. Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for um, your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would be you would be building us up give us give us the strength to push on those of us who are frustrated and discouraged feeling like we've we've tried it we've tried this evangelism thing we've tried sharing our, the gospel we've tried we've tried a million different things and we just get frustrated and we've never seen the fruit god and we just pray that your holy spirit would be working in us that you would be um just it'd be obvious to the world that you are you are what is um, driving people here at New Life Fellowship, God. That you would be um, pouring out your love on us, and and in turn us going out into just the, the world around us, and that being evident to everybody around us that that there's something different, and that it's not that we're just trying to do something out of you know just this this feeling of obligation that we're supposed to, God, but that we, we genuinely do love those around us, God. And for those of us who are struggling in this area, who do not have this hunger for the lost or this desire to just pray and to, desi- and to see you move and work, God, I just pray for us 
I pray for any spirit of apathy that might have, you know, sort of just crept in, where we might have been on fire one time, and then all of a sudden we just sort of fall away from it. But I just pray that you would, you would build that up in us. I pray that you would affirm, um, affirm us with um, just your, your strength, your discernment, your wisdom in those situations. God, and just encourage us. Give us a love for the things that you love, God, and that's, that's the people all around us, God, and we just pray that you would do that work. God, I thank you so much, and as we go this morning, I just pray that, you know, we would, we would um, be excited about the upcoming week in a way that it's an opportunity to come back next Sunday with, with a testimony of something amazing that you did, a story of faith, a story of how you worked through some, you know, random situation, and then that was an opportunity to share the gospel with that person. God, I just pray that that would be happening and that uh, we would just be walking away from here excited and encouraged for, for, for the things ahead and to know that it, this, this routine we have of coming to church each week isn't about that. It's about, it's about your body coming together in an effort to go out and reach the world for you, God. We just pray that you would be working in us, doing an amazing, uh, amazing thing, God, where the world is drawn to that. Jesus, we thank you so much. I pray that as we go, you keep us safe, keep us, uh, keep us um, well, God. I pray that you'd be, uh, just bless us, uh, bless the week and all that we have going on, and, uh, and that we would be a blessing to others, God. I thank you so much, Lord, and, uh, and we give you all the glory. Amen. Awesome, guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.